Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. When you start to do the work, when you start to get ready for the harvest of anything, there's this public perception, there's this public thing that goes on, but what we forget to understand is that the reason we see what's going on in public is because there's been some work in private. Any, any professional athlete you see excelling at their gift, they've spent hours upon hours upon thousands of hours learning how to do that. For that 48 minutes that we get to watch and, and eat and drink and, and, and act like we could have done it better. Father, King of the ages, Lord of lords, there is none like you in all the earth. Lord God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord God. That everything that I say be what you want me to say. Everything that I think be what you want me to think. Hide me behind your cross. In the name of Jesus, we pray. The great I am. Amen. amen. And amen. On this uh, wonderful Father's Day, amen. I want to talk a little bit about planting proper seeds. Planting proper seeds. Uh, there's a man who's been called the man who has saved a billion lives. But I doubt many of us would know who he is. It's a man by the name of Dr. Borlaug, and he's never been one to seek fame or do a lot of interviews, uh, but the accomplishment that, that earned his fame took place over 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago now, because it happened in 1965. That's the year Dr. Borlaug shipped the first of his new seed varieties to India. Uh, and it made it possible to feed over a billion people in India and in Pakistan. And there's a playwright and an author by the name of David McCary who said in his younger years when he was serving in the Peace Corps in India, he wrote about Dr. Burlag and said it's no exaggeration to say that Burlag, Burlag did in fact save a billion lives. He saved these lives by making it possible to eat. For these people. Uh, he graduated from the University of Minnesota in 1942 with a PhD in plant pathology and genetics and then accepted an agricultural research position in Mexico where he developed a short-stemmed high-yield disease-resistant variety of wheat and it helped uh, Mexico uh, turn around so much that by 1963 uh, 
Mexico became an exporter of wheat. Uh, the problem was that the basic seed, the basic wheat seed that got planted, when uh, first off when it got planted, there was a chance that that wheat wasn't going to grow. Then when the plants got out there, um, they they would have to feed people, and there were these tall, narrow stalks with minimal kernels on the plant, and, and, and so they got top heavy. Uh, the, and the top of the wheat plant would knock the plant over, and so the plant would die before it could really serve the wheat, and, and it would rot on the ground before the wheat could actually be harvested. And so Burlag developed what they call a semi-dwarf Mexican wheat, which had a shorter and thicker stalk, and it stayed upright even when it was windy, and, and, and also produced more kernels on the plant so that and it resisted this wheat resisted any kind of diseases and pests uh, wouldn't bother it. And so because he came up with a better way to grow wheat and because he made a better wheat seed that produced a greater harvest, there were other people, uh, other countries, matter of fact, that were able to become self-sufficient by growing wheat. Then he went and once he got done fixing the wheat plant, he went on to fix the rice plants and, and, and improve those crops in countries that, that uh, rely on rice to feed their population. And then he was called the, the father of the Green Revolution. And he received a Nobel Peace Prize in 1970 um, for recognition of his contributions to world peace through increasing the food supply. And, and the, the chair of the Nobel Peace Committee said that more than any other single person of this age, this man has helped to provide bread for a hungry world. We have made this choice in hope that providing bread will also give world peace. Uh, Dr. Burlag died in 2009 at the age of 95, but almost to the end, he kept working. Uh, to keep hunger at bay. And he was serving as a, a, a consultant to the International Maize and Wheat Improvement Center in Mexico and as president of a foundation that was looking to spread the Green Revolution in Sub-Sahara Africa. He knew how to work a seed. He knew how to plant a seed. And this story came up when I was thinking about it because uh, Jesus talks about in the in the parable. Uh, he says that they that the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, but he himself does not know how. There's a whole lot of stuff going on when you put a seed into the ground that we don't actually know about. I mean, science has advanced uh, to a great deal, but at the time of the writing, you pretty much planted and prayed. And, and, and this, this sower was likely representing Christians who testified and proclaimed their faith to other, but had no real understanding of the growing process. The seed would grout and spr uh, sprout and grow, but we would not know how. But that doesn't matter when we do it, we still plant the seed and trust that the harvest will grow. We don't know how 
that's supposed to happen, but we still need to plant the seed. You may have a conversation with somebody about Christ Jesus, and you may not know whether or not that seed you planted took root and grew. And when it happens, you may not know how. But you still got to plant the seed and trust the process. It's like that really with any spiritual discipline. You may not have a firm understanding of how prayer works, but you plant the seed and allow the harvest to grow and trust God for it. When you fast, you may not have an understanding of how that is building your spiritual discipline, but you plant the seed and trust God for the harvest. When you tithe, you may not understand how that process actually works, but you plant the seed and trust God for the harvest. This was an important lesson for these first century believers in Jesus Christ because this was coming after Jesus was no longer with them in the flesh and they can only recall what Jesus had told them about the kingdom of God. And they can only recall that Jesus had told them that this would grow like a plant or a seed toward harvest and it would reassure them that the growth in the kingdom was indeed proceeding according to God's plan. They didn't know when the crop would ripen Indeed, they didn't know the parable would say that it is sometimes referred to as the seed secretly growing, but they could trust that in God's time they would be ready for the harvest, and they could trust that in God's time there would be unfailing hope. We live in a time where many churches are not prospering, and we may find ourselves pessimistic about its future. Is the crop going to fail? Are the seeds of faith we spread actually growing or not? But those are the things we have to trust God for the harvest. And sometimes stop doing things to sabotage ourselves. Is the microphone still working? You can't plant a seed and then try to dig it back up. How you dig it back up, Pastor? Uh, well, you're talking crazy to the people when they come or not talking at all. Amen. You know, they say that a person makes a decision within the first 12 seconds. They're on a church campus about whether or not they're going to join or not. Now, can't much happen in 12 seconds other than somebody speak or not speak to them in the parking lot or when they walk through the door. But we have to plant the seed and trust God for the harvest. Uh, the text also says that Jesus, uh, on the same, uh, it says that without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all the things to his disciples. So when you plant the seed, when you start to do the work, when you start to get ready for the harvest of anything, there's this public perception, there's this public thing that goes on, but what we forget to understand is that the reason we see what's going on in public is because there's been some work in private. Any, any professional athlete you see excelling at their gift, they've spent hours upon hours upon thousands of hours learning how to do that. For that 48 minutes that we get to watch and, and eat and drink and, and, and act like we could have done it better. 
They spend years upon years of doing that. Anybody you see that excels in industry. I was looking at one of my colleagues who's a, a bivocational pastor, and he posted not too long ago he was talking to some of the new hires at his insurance company. And, they, and he asked them just in passing, how much money would you like to make? And they all said the amounts that they would like to make, and what they would like to make was the same amount of money that he was making. And he had been on the job for a long time, and they were just getting hired. And what he pointed out uh, in, in the, when he posted on Facebook later is that he works almost twice as many hours as they do. It's a flexible job, so you can go home when you want to. And because these people were going home earlier, way earlier than he was, they may not make it to the point that he made it. They will not put in that private time. And so they put in this price. So anytime you want to excel at anything, there's going to be some private practice that needs to go on. Amen. If you want to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't just do it an hour and a half on Sunday once a week. Anything you see done well in public comes from private work. Uh, many scholars suggested that the parable of the scattered seed underscores God's agency. Big old five dollar uh, social work slash psychology word that means to act independently. The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and sleep day and night and the seed would sprout and grow but he does not know how. The portrayer uh, uh, is not to portray the farmer as an inattentive caretaker is to let us know that God is still doing the work. It's not much we can do about it. We still have things that we need to do, but ultimately in the end, the major part of the work, the heavy lifting that has to be done is done by God. We have to do our part to get some buy-in, some skin in the game. It's a whole theory about that, especially when it comes to charity work, that you don't just give somebody everything and then let them, because they won't appreciate it if you give it to them. That's why when Habitat for Humanity comes by to help you build your house, they're going to hand you a hammer and some nails. Yes, you're getting a free house, but you're going to need to put some skin in. You may not have to pay for the whole thing, but you need to put some skin in and then let us do the heavy lifting. But you still got to put some skin in. You may not know how the seed grows. You may not know how the seed plant it, it, it sprouts the wheat that is going to come out, but you still got to plant it. You still got to till the soil. The seed is going to grow on its own, and you may not understand how it works, but the heavy lifting is going to be done uh, through God, but you still need to do something. Uh, I understand this with my own seed. I plant things in my children, and I'm not sure how it's going to grow. I don't know what blossoms. I don't know what needs to be replanted. But that doesn't mean I just sit back and don't plant at all. I'm always amazed at what my children pick up when I don't think they are paying attention. Amen. 
It's always shocking to me when my son kept carrying that rock in his pocket and I didn't understand why. But then I learned later that he was carrying that rock in his pocket because the stone, the earth shook in his words. The earth shook, the stone rolled away and the tomb was empty. And that's what he kept as a reminder to let him know that. I didn't realize he was paying attention. You never know what's planted. You never know what sprouts. But that does not mean that you abandon the process. You got to keep planting the seed. Just because we don't understand how it works doesn't mean we sit back on our thumbs and do nothing. Uh, we, 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 we do these things and we put our own buy-in. We put, do our own planning, but we still got to understand that God is responsible for the harvest. I bring up the church not here to debate whether or not the church is falling on hard times or not, but rather is to hear and take confidence rather from Jesus' parable that tells us that the gospel seeds that we are scattering are growing. And, and, and even if we don't know how, One day the full grain will appear. He told another parable as well in the reading, and and, and we don't spend much time on it, but it it talks about that the yield from the scattered seed will be significant. The mustard seed is small, very small. But when planted, it grows and produces a big, uh, as the text says, a big bush with branches that the that uh that's greater than all the other herbs and birds can can sit under it it's the smallest of all the seeds and it becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts out so this sowing and planting is not for us to worry about it's not a harvest fail we can sow the seed with confidence anticipation and joy Notice I said joy, but not happiness. I said joy because happiness is temporary. Happiness can be uh, dependent upon how somebody's treating you. Happiness can depend on how much money you got in your pocket. Happiness can depend on whether or not you get along with your spouse or not. But joy is internal, internal and eternal. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. We plant the seed to let us know that even though we may not see it immediately, we can't plant it Sunday and expect a whole forest on Monday. (laughs) And that's hard to do in this day and age when you can find out anything going on around the world in less than an hour. You can drive, even though an hour and driving here only gets you from one half of Houston to the other half. Uh, you can go all these different places. You can fly all over the world. You get this 24-hour news cycle. You got an instant microwavable food, and so it's real hard to wait for some things. I will confess, I might have a bit of a patience problem. But we have to wait. And understand that sometimes we are not going to understand everything about the process. And I think there's some good in that. You know, me being an engineer by trade, I I would think if I knew everything about the process, the next thing I'd be trying to do is create some sort of more efficient process. 
How can this be done better? How can this be done? So I mean, I need to understand how everything works. I just have to understand that God is responsible for the harvest. If we do our job, we need not worry about whether or not God is going to do his job. God is not a man that he shall lie, nor the son of man that he shall seek cause to repent. God said that his word will not return to him void. So God is going to do God's job. But God's job may not be the job I like. But God is still going to do God's job. And God will be responsible for the harvest. And I think sometimes we get a little confused about the harvest. Folks get on and say, get ready for the harvest. Get ready, get ready. Yeah, and the music starts playing. So uh, the harvest when you're farming is actually one of the hardest times in the farm. You got to rush down to the crop sometimes early in the morning because you got to beat all the pests and, and potential crop thieves to your harvest. The harvest is when you reap the reward, but also understand that the harvest is sometimes when you got to work the hardest. God is responsible for us providing the harvest, but we also got to work to retrieve it. Uh, and so if these particular parables that you experience or these things that you experience through the week, these instances that you go through and, and they plant seeds and you may not understand what's going on and it may not seem like there's any kind of grand significance or any kind of definite gospel revelation quality to them uh, as you go through the life. The power of this parable is the ability to stand up over time. You have a parable that Jesus told during a time that seems kind of mundane and bland. You plant a seed and you don't understand how it's going to grow, but understand that it's still going to grow. But this parable has stood the test of time. And it stood up to scrutiny and self-examination and and, and it reveals its own true meaning in, in this gospel heart. And Jesus always spoke these parables to the crowds, but then went back to the disciples to explain to them privately. So you ought to be looking for some of that private time with Jesus. I mean, unless you just want to be a Christian for an hour and a half once a week. And some of us good good ones is once a month. It's the job of all of us as Jesus' disciples to come together and plug into the parable power and, and the seed planting and the harvest gathering abilities of all those who have come before us. The Matthews, the Marks, and the Lukes, and Johns, and the Augustines, and the Aquinas, and the Abelards, and the Avila, and the Luthers, and the John Wesleys, and the Edwards. And then not only that, but the gospels of our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers and our fathers and planting those things that we've learned from our Sunday school teachers and our cousins and our little sisters and brothers as Christ's body and community of faith we got to work together to discern each week what power can take a hold in us we have to come together to understand and discern each week what seeds can we plant in one another would you want to reap that fruit what kind of seeds are you planting in the people you hang around you plant the seed you got to be ready to eat the fruit 
So if I plant some seeds of dissension in somebody, I got to realize that later I'm going to eat some fruit of dissension. If I plant some seeds of lying uh, in, in somebody, I'm going to have to reap that fruit someday. If I plant the seeds of backbiting in somebody, if I plant the seeds of gospel, gossip rather, in somebody, I got to get ready to eat that fruit. As one of my friends said, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. <laughs> what kind of seeds are you planting in the people around you? And are you prepared to eat that fruit? So we should return to the world every Monday uh, uh, looking to tell the parables of our lives and, and looking to reap the harvest and, and looking to sow these seeds and, and eat the fruit of what we have planted in other people. That way we become living examples of Jesus Christ. The seed that you plant, you got to be prepared to eat the fruit. So we go out and we may not understand how that fruit grows, how that harvest comes, but we can understand that we still need to keep planting. Uh, there's a law of genetics while we're talking about seeds that lets us know that we are exactly half of each one of our parents. Some some of those things are dominant and some of those things are recessive. Some things show up and you know that that is that person's child. And, and other things kind of rear later. You, you can look at my children and there is no doubt about it who the daddy is. Just like when uh, me and my sister get around my daddy. No doubt about it. I have gone to my grandmother's house, God rest her soul, in Chicago, Illinois, and looked at pictures and said, when did I take this picture with my cousin Stephen? I don't remember taking this picture. Why is it in black and white? Why do I have that outfit on? I don't remember that. I didn't dress like that. And they would say, no, that is Johnny, Johnny Jr., that is not you and your cousin Stephen. That is your daddy, Johnny, and your uncle Stephen. They have taken that picture. So you are, some, some genes are dominant and some things show up at later times. And so you are 50% uh, of each one of your parents. Uh, we get half of our genes from each parent. And that's why I look at Jesus and understand that he is fully divine and fully human. And they all showed themselves at different times. I'm reminded of Jesus being on a boat when the, the storms was raging and the disciples were around and saying, carest thou not that we perish? Master, what is going on? The, 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 the storms and the winds are raging and Jesus is on the boat sleep. He's fully human and fully divine. God does not sleep. Uh, that's what the text says. He neither sleeps nor slumbers, but you sitting over here asleep. But he woke up and he said, peace, be still. And the storm went away. Fully human, fully divine. Uh, he was out there teaching the multitude of people. Uh, 
like a good human preacher. And, and just like a good human preacher, he might have ran a little long. Uh, uh, pastor, you're kind of you're getting a little long-winded in your message. Uh, fine, let's feed the people. And they only had uh, uh, two fish and five loaves of bread because uh, they only had brought enough for themselves. So that's a human function of going too long in the sermon. And, and, and But there was some divine function, 50-50. He took that bread and blessed it and fed the people and fed over 5,000 people just counting the men, not counting the women and children, fully human and fully divine. Uh, he was on his way to heal uh, somebody, uh, Jairus' daughter, I believe, and he was on his way to heal that person because that person had asked him to do something, and he was on his way to do it and fully human and understand he made his way through the crowd, and it was a bunch of crowded people, and somebody just touched the hem of his garment, and he said, who touched me? Uh, that's a human response. People were thinking of the disciples said, oh, oh, no, no, no. There's too many people around you. Everybody touched you. He said, no, I felt virtue leave my body fully divine because that virtue leaving his body was able to heal the woman who would had an issue of blood for over 12 years, both fully human and fully divine. Uh, fully human and fully divine when they were about to take him uh, after Judas had given him up and these people started to attack him and Peter, my friend Peter pulled out a sword and cut the people's ear off fully human and and Jesus said let's stop this fighting put your sword away, now's not the time to use it and then he took that, that ear up and put it back on the soldier and healed his ear fully divine, 50 50 same thing, got the, got the fully human part of him and the fully divine. Uh, fully human, getting beat with a cat of nine tails. Uh, uh, getting beaten, putting a crown of thorns on and, and people mock worshiping him in a, in, a, in, a, in a purple robe and blindfolding him and punching him and saying, prophesy, Jesus, tell us which one of us hit you this whole time and carrying that that 300 pound cross all the way to Golgotha all the way to the the place that's called the place of the skull all the way to the place called Calvary and they hung him high stretched him wide and he hung his head and then he died fully human to die that death and put him in the tomb but Three days later, we got to see the other part of the 50% that was in there when he rose with all power in his hands. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook.